the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. You were sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cut deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. We finished another week. It's the Friday edition of the Word to Stand Up for Life. And I'm pretty sure it's going to go well today because I just had the greatest prayer from one of the kids. We always have a, a group of four to seven kids in here praying before the radio program starts. And it was Erica who prayed today, and she prayed just a perfect prayer. So you guys are all covered, and I trust I am as well. Uh, if you didn't hear the intro, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. It's a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Whatever's on your heart and mind, uh, we'll do the best we can to answer those questions. Here are our phone numbers, 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR or 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also send them in via the free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the KSLR free mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button hands-free, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, for us, because it's Friday, you know, everybody else's week is ending. Ours is just starting, of course, and that's just the the way it is in in the life of the church. Uh, tonight, we have Acts chapter 3. I'm going to finish uh, uh, the chapter um, tonight, uh, 7 o'clock. Here at Calvary Chapel on Sunday, I get to finish maybe the greatest chapter in all of Scripture, Romans chapter 8. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I want to remind you men that we have our men's retreat coming up next Thursday. It's Thursday, Friday, and half a day on Saturday uh, at Buckner uh, Ranch. If you want to attend, just contact the church uh, at 658-8337, and they'll get you uh, connected with the right people. But we'd like to invite you to come. We'd love to to share Jesus with you for that weekend. Okay, one more time, 340-9585. I don't think I have anything else, so let me go right to a question here. Here's a question that came in yesterday late at the end of the program, uh, and uh, there's no name on it, but uh, it was directed to Paula. And... Uh, she said, Sweet Paula, what are some of your favorite scriptures for relaxation and meditation? Uh, I sent this to Paula, and and here's what she said. She says, I usually read the Song of Songs when feeling unlovable and unworthy. Ruth, to see how he draws us to himself. Esther shows me how he uses even hard and unfair situations to accomplish his purposes. As you know, she's speaking to me. She says, I love many of the Psalms, especially the 23rd Psalm, 27th, Psalm uh, 37th Psalm and Psalm 116, Isaiah 54, and and just so those of you, if you haven't been listening to the program for long, uh, Isaiah 54 is sort of Paula's life chapter. Uh, it's, it was given to her by God a long time ago uh, when it didn't look like I was ever going to get saved, and and uh, it stuck with her all these years. She then adds John 17:23. 
uh, where he says, and have loved them, meaning her, as you have loved me, as Jesus speaking to his Father. And then Philippians, especially chapter 1, verse 6, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and Revelation 3, 10, just to name a few. And then she says, love you. So that's the verse that she meditates on. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is, um, questioner, we... Um, when you're around Jesus, Paula puts the word in a lot. She reads the Bible not only to me, but she reads uh, for herself as well, obviously. And when you are faithful to put the word in, God brings it out. God brings it out. And rather than just a verse, remember, it's not the, the words on the pages of your Bible. And I love the Bible with all of my heart. But it's the person of Jesus Christ. And you put it in, and wherever you are, whatever you're going through, he's going to bring the appropriate scriptures out. So it's not like taking a, a, an aspirin for a headache or anything, but it's just a lifestyle. And uh, I can vouch for Paula. She is constantly in these passages of scripture, uh, and they encourage her a great deal. So it's just just the daily walk with the Lord. I have a question that I probably won't get to today, but I'll, I'll just hit it very brief now because it... It uh, sort of deals with the same thing. Uh, somebody wrote in wanting to know what my favorite book of the Bible was. And honestly, my favorite book of the Bible is the one that we're studying, or the ones that we're studying. We have three different Bible studies that I'm teaching here uh, every week. And when, we, um, when we're going through those scriptures, as Paul is reading them to me over and over and over, um, they all sort of become my favorites. And that's because whatever it is that we're going through, Jesus is faithful to bring them out. He's there with you when you're reading the word, and he's faithful to bring out that which we need to hear. So I hope that answers your question. 340-9585, let's go to Mike calling from San Antonio. Mike, thanks for calling. You're on the air. I've got a couple of questions. Um, the first one is dealing with First Samuel. Um, I was reading uh, around the part where uh, Jonathan is telling David, you know, if he shoots the arrow over here, that means go and run away. Saul's trying to kill you. If I shoot the arrow over here, you're safe. You can stay. But there was uh, a part right before that where um, he tells David, let us go out into the field. And it just reminded me of when Cain said that to Abel. And I was wondering if there's any connection between the two of those or if that's just a coincidence. Um, and then my second question is, uh, if, if bad things can still happen to us, even though we pray for protection and providence, um, I guess material providence, uh, then what is the point of praying if it doesn't necessarily align with what God has planned out for us? Um, if, you know, we pray for protection, but then we get cancer or into a car accident or something like that, and I'll just uh, take my answers over there. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Mike. I, I appreciate the question. I was going to deal with the second one first, just because it's so important. You know, we pray for a couple of reasons, Mike. We pray because the Lord tells us to pray. He wants to talk to us. He wants to not only to speak into our lives, but, but he wants to know our hearts. Now, I know that sounds a little ambiguous because we, we are talking to a God who knows everything. But it's like any other relationship. It's developed. It, it becomes deeper when, in fact, we're communicating with someone. And Jesus wants us to communicate. One of the things that we understand about making our request known to God, Paul says, we have to do that with thanksgiving, or in other words, with grateful hearts. It's very important that we, we approach God with a grateful heart. And, and we can ask God for protection. And we can ask God for financial provision. But here's the thing that we have to understand. God knows what's best for us. And even Jesus, when in fact uh, he wanted, desperately wanted to be relieved of the responsibility of going to the cross. Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me. And the Father three times said, there is no way. And Jesus said, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done. And Mike, I think faith really comes into play here when we understand that God's will for us is better than anything that we could have imagined, even in those times of suffering. 
if you've been listening to the program, Mike, I've, I've been teaching through Romans chapter 8, uh, and we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And we like that verse, but the context of that verse is suffering. And here's what we know. If we're praying for physical protection and something happens, we get cancer, you, that was the, the example you gave, or something else happens, well, we have to know that Jesus is there with us. And by faith, we have to know that he's working all those things together for our good. Why? Because we love him and he loves us. And because we have a calling to fulfill. Some people, might are given what I call a ministry of affliction. I've got people in our church, some of those faithful, um, most Christ-like people in our church here are people that seem to be afflicted with the ministry of suffering. They have become monumental prayer warriors. But they're the ones that can comfort others with the comfort they themselves receive from God. And God has entrusted them with this gift. You know, Philippians, uh, Paul says that it is it, speaking of suffering, has been granted unto us. And the concept there is as a gift. Why? So that we can share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Again, we don't like suffering. We don't want pain. We don't want difficulty. And it's okay to ask God for those things, but we can't desert God then when those things happen. They happen to everybody. And at some point in your walk, Mike, you're going to be afflicted with pain. At some point in your walk, things are going to happen that break your heart. Uh, those are the times when we need to realize that Jesus is closer to us than ever before, and we need to stay close to him. So that's why we ask for those things. However, and this is what's really important, Mike, when we don't get those prayers answered according to our will, that has to be okay with us. Because Jesus set an example for us to follow, and he suffered unjustly like no other human ever. Jesus suffered the indignities, every one that the world could put on him, and he never once asked his father why. He never got angry at his father. He understood that he had a mission to complete. And while it wasn't easy, it certainly was torturous, in fact, he never once charged God. And I think sometimes if we pray only to get something that we want, doesn't it sort of turn Jesus into like Santa Claus? He's checking his list, checking it twice, seeing who's naughty, seeing who's nice. And we think, okay, well, I'm going to be good, so he owes me. Well, Jesus is not Santa Claus. And he has a plan mapped out for us. We've got to partner with him in that plan. But that's why we pray, because he knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And I want to be with him tomorrow because I don't know what's going to happen. And if I'm with him, I'm going to be prepared for whatever happens. One other comment on this, and I'll ask, answer the first Samuel question, Mike. Um, when you're with Jesus, you find the daily grace to walk with him. You find the daily grace not just to survive, but to thrive. And any relationship that's based only on good things happening. And that's what so many of us as Christians do. I'll follow you, God, as long as you end, uh, give me this thing or answer this prayer or don't let me get sick. That's not a relationship based on honest truth. It's a relationship based more on what have you done for me lately. And the man or the woman who approaches God in prayer that way is really telling Jesus that I'll love you as long as everything goes my way. Jesus said the world will hate you because of him. He said he's come to divide families because of that name. All those things have to be okay with us. Again, I don't want to appear to be naive here. We don't enjoy any of the pain. But you know, sometimes God keeps us where we need to be. Let me say one more thing, and I know, Mike, I said I'd, I'd close it with that, but... I feel like I'm, uh, the Lord's leading me to share this with you. You know, uh, in my previous life before Christ, I've been saved for a little over 26 years. In my previous life, I, w I was wealthy. I was a very successful businessman. I had more money than I possibly could have spent. Um, it was very comfortable to be a Christian. But I was miserable. And now, honestly, I don't have anything and I have everything. And truly, I've learned experientially, not just what the Word teaches, but I've learned experientially over 26 years that everything that He 
has for us is better infinitely so than anything that we might do for ourselves. So I hope that answers your question. The, the second question, you know, Mike, I'm in for Samuel on, uh, on Wednesday night, so uh, I think I taught the arrow one just two Wednesdays ago, uh, and uh, that's such a, a, a passionate passage of Scripture. Um, with one exception, uh, this will be the last time Jonathan and David see one another. Uh, they love each other. They're closer than brothers. And David is approaching um, um, Jonathan saying, well, why is your father trying to kill me? And, and Jonathan wants to leave the best about his father. No, my, my father isn't going to hurt you. Uh, he knows. I, he would tell me he shares everything with me. And David says, no, he's not sharing with you because he knows that our hearts are knit together. And so this is something he's keeping from you. So Jonathan, the, the, the great friend, says, well, I'll find out. I'll go talk to my father. I'll ask him this. And David says, well, how will we know what he says? How will I know what he says? And he, and he basically says to him, um, you go stand out in the field uh, undercover. Nobody will know that you're there. And I'll bring my servant with me and I'll shoot an arrow in the air. If I shoot it and it says it falls short, uh, it's over here, go to the left and go get it. Uh, if I say to, the, to the, the servant, the arrow is beyond you, well, that means that my father does mean to harm you. And that's when you need to run. So that's all they're doing there. And um, when I taught this passage a couple of Wednesdays ago, uh, I told our church here that that arrow represented the will of God. Can you imagine how heartbroken Jonathan was to have to shoot that arrow far? David be, would be watching it. He'd see the arrow in the air, and with every every inch it would go, he would be hoping, stop, you got to stop, you got to stop, you got to stop. And finally he would see that arrow fly over his head, and his heart would be crushed. His life would be forever changed. And yet that was the will of God for David. And the rest of these chapters sort of explain what David had to, to go through in order for God to make him to be the man of God. With regard to going out in the field, the field was just a place where they could talk. You know, they would be covered by brush. And there's a place where they could go out and talk without being discovered. Saul would have spies watching people. And it was just a place. So it has nothing to do with Cain and Abel. This was the best possible circumstance. And Jonathan proves to be the best of friends, Mike. So... Uh, it really is a great passage. If you'd like to hear the, the Bible teaching I, <laughs> I did on I'm sorry, I had to cough. Uh, you can go to calvarysa.com and uh, just go to recent studies. It's the Old Testament study on Wednesday nights. And it was um, two weeks ago, uh, two Wednesdays ago. So uh, feel free to do that. It's all for free, Mike. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the question. 340-9585. Or eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Here is a question from Charles from our email inbox. He says, "Well, I, driving, I listen to KSLR, and in the morning there's a show called Watchman on the Wall by the Southwest Radio Church. From time to time, the host has guests on that speak about giants and bones of giants, places in South America that have portals which demons come and go from, underground giant demon bases, etc. Although it's interesting, to say the least, I'm not buying it unless, of course, you say it has some validity. Uh, Charles, uh, I think the Southwest Radio Church, and, and uh, I don't know if the station would want me to say this or not, but I think it's pretty safe to say that that is a, a, a program, a teaching program that we ought to stay away from that we ought to avoid. Uh, it is a very, very, very old, in fact, one of the two or three oldest uh, radio ministries, um, um, con Christian radio ministries. Uh, it's been going on for a very, very long time. Uh, the founder uh, has long since been with the Lord. They've got people there. But it's turned into sort of a nut thing, um, you know, into the kind of things that you're talking about. So uh, I, I would just say uh, with Southwest Radio, church comes on, uh, turn the sound down and use that time to pray. So uh, I, I can't recommend uh, the, the Southwest Radio Church at all. Very legalistic. In addition to that, they are um, uh, King James only types and just it, it's just really, really bad uh, scholarship and a lot of it is uh, um, 
can be harmful. So just stay away from it. Here's one from our mobile app. Rich says, uh, what is the correct interpretation of Romans 9, 20 to 23? Some Calvinists hold that this is a proof text that God chooses some for salvation and others for judgment. I'm going to go there in the Bible here really quickly. But while I'm doing that, let me say that I'm actually going to start this Sunday um, teaching on the doctrine of election. I'm going to do it sort of in spaces. When I get to chapter 9, then I'll do a complete treatment of it. But we're going to touch on it a little bit this way. Uh, here's the passage of Scripture that Rich referred to. But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for a noble purpose and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Uh, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, Rich, they have to be understood not only in their context, but, but in terms of what Paul is trying to do. For eight chapters, God has made the case that man is sinful, uh, in need of being rescued, and God is faithful no matter how wicked we might be. God has been faithful in our faithlessness to call a people apart from himself. And 9, 10, and 11, those chapters in the book of Romans, I call it the, the Israel insert, um, those chapters are Paul taking the nation of Israel as a physical illustration of God's faithfulness in the faith uh, in the face of um, the unfaithfulness of His people Israel. In other words, if this were a trial, and that's what the first eight chapters are, it's a perfect legal case being presented. Paul then says it's time to call for some evidence. Exhibit A is is Israel. They have been faithless, and God has been faithful. And what he's talking about here in Romans chapter nine. Is, is sort of expanding on the doctrine of election. Uh, therefore, verse 18 says, God has mercy in whom he wants to have mercy and hardens whom he wants to harden. And when a Calvinist uses that to um, further the idea, and there are other places in this chapter and in chapter 10 as well uh, that they hold on to more tightly, um, God is simply saying, I'll have mercy on who I want to have mercy. Who does he want to have mercy on? He wants to have mercy on those who are going to be his. And that doesn't mean the objects of his wrath, those who will reject Jesus Christ, aren't receiving mercy. God is blessing them, and, and he's using even them, but he's using them to their own detriment in the sense that they will be standing before God without excuse. So this whole idea of a lump of clay, um, he's hearkening back to Old Testament scriptures, and, and basically he's just saying, look, um, if there are people who are condemned, it's not my fault. They're condemned on their own. We've had this question, Rich, on, on this program. Well, well, why does God make people if he knows they're going to reject him and spend eternity in hell? Well, that's the potter and the clay thing. God makes everybody, he gives everybody an equal opportunity. It's not like God is saying, I choose you for heaven, choose somebody else for hell. That is is to mischaracterize God. That really is nearly blaspheming his name. Um, and that's not the point. The whole point of this is saying that God gives everybody, everybody an equal opportunity. And his grace is available to anyone who asks. Now, he knows who's going to ask. For those God foreknew, he predestined. That's what I'm going to talk about it briefly uh, this coming Sunday. Uh, he knows who are going to be his. And what we've got to do is understand that election, while a biblical doctrine for sure, the basis of his choosing is his foreknowledge. What does God know? He knows everything. The end is as clear to him as the beginning. What is future to us is history to God because he's always there in the present. So he knows who's going to say yes. He knows who's going to say no. And the people that say no to the invitation that God extends to everybody Jesus said, many are called, few are chosen. Everybody gets called. If they reject that call, it's on them, not at all on God. 
So, Rich, uh, I'll get into that a little bit more. And, and for everybody uh, in the listening audience, again, if these are issues that you really want some information on, um, this Sunday we'll be talking, uh, starting in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Uh, and then in the, the coming weeks, uh, we'll be uh, heading into uh, Romans chapter 9. Okay, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let me see if I have a quick one. We're inside. We've got one minute. Um, Frank says, here's one I can do very quickly. For God created everything, but where did evil come from? Uh, evil came from our choice. It came from Satan. God gives every one of his servants the choice to serve him or not. We know Lucifer, who became the devil, chose not to, and Satan is the one that introduced evil to the world. Uh, unfortunately, because we're born with the sin nature, uh, we're all too willing to partner with Satan in doing that evil. It's not God's fault. So you're right, God created everything. Now, he didn't create everything by his hand. He created Adam and Eve by his own hand. But the rest of us, by the process, he created evil, entered the world with choice we got 30 minutes left in the week. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We will be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Well, let's finish this week with a bang, 340-9585. Let's go to line one, Victor calling from San Antonio. Victor, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir, Pastor Ron. Thanks for taking my call. I had a okay. question for you. Uh, you know, on the on the interpretation of scripture, especially when it comes to prophecy, uh, you know, it's obvious that there's uh, at least two major schools of thought on on interpreting uh, the, the scriptures, especially uh, the end time events and, and and the calendar of events and all that. Uh, uh, my question to you, Pastor Ron, if if you could maybe. Uh, try to explain why uh, why is it the difference uh, I know that there's um, uh, you know like uh, Herman, hermeneutics explains uh, you know how to uh, what are the, the particular uh, rules to go by in order to be able to properly interpret the scripture and that being the case it's it's uh, you know it it, uh, it seems to me that uh, the, uh, the you know the difference is, is it has to do with uh, whether or not how they interpret uh, those passages of Scripture in the Old Testament, which um, uh, they, they, they believe that it's already occurred. Uh, but from what I can find, it wasn't completely, uh, it didn't completely occur, uh, you know, in that Old Testament history, that Old Testament passage, that there was some that hadn't occurred yet, and that's the reason why um, the evangelicals uh, still have, uh, you know, the uh, the rapture and 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 all that, and, 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 and I was wondering if you could elaborate on that, and I'll go ahead and listen to the radio, and then I, thanks for, again, Pastor Ron. Right. Thank you, Victor. Very intelligent question. A couple of things. The, the difference in interpretation isn't as much in the hermeneutic. Hermeneutic is simply the science of, of the interpretation of literature, and there has to be rules. Um, expositional constancy. Um, is something that we really, really need to keep focused on. That's a, a rule of hermeneutics. It means that if there are symbols in the Bible, they mean something one place. They they mean the same thing all the way through. So if we if we we have a solid biblical hermeneutic, um, then these prophecies begin to be a little more clear in terms of understanding. Now, the difference in people who say all of prophecy has been fulfilled, preterism and, and partial preterism and those kind of things, um, uh, they are the ones who tend to be uh, those who don't really believe in the supernatural nature of, of Scripture, or they don't, in many cases, they don't believe in the supernatural at all. They're trying to explain things that happen that are supernatural in a natural construct. 
And so what they're doing is they're simply saying, no, when a prophet was talking about this or when Jesus said this, um, that was fulfilled in 19 uh, or, or in, uh, I'm sorry, in 70 A.D., um, because they, they, they simply don't believe that Jesus or the Word of God, the prophets of God, are telling the future in advance. There's so many problems with that, Victor. Let me give you a homework assignment. Read uh, Daniel chapters 9 through 12, and you're going to have the history of the world from the time that Daniel was writing all the way into the time that is still yet future for us. And to say that those things have already happened, and he tells the future so specifically, uh, we we have the the advantage of history. We can look back and see all of the different empires of the world. And but but Daniel, when that was written, he didn't have that 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 privilege. So um, it it had to be the supernatural uh, hand of God who was giving him these details. If you discount the supernatural effect then you come to the conclusion well, nobody could possibly say that. And that's what you see higher critics or those who are liberal scholars. They simply discount it. Now, the problem that I have, Victor, is that there are a lot of people who live today. They can see these things and they still deny that, that, that prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. And a preterist, for example, uh, believing that all prophecy has been fulfilled in 70 AD um, is, is obviously somebody who's not honestly interpreting what they see in the Bible. Now, I understand the difficulty in one sense. Prophecy, much of prophecy by its nature, has both short and long-term fulfillment. Let me give an example of what I mean. When uh, the church was born on the day of Pentecost, uh, the Spirit was poured out. Remember, everybody was laughing, saying, oh, these men are drunk. And Peter said, no, these men are not drunk. This is what was written by the prophet Joel, and then he goes on to explain, well, only part of what was being seen, the outpouring of the Spirit, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will have visions, your, your women, uh, men, men and women will be filled. Um, that was what the explanation was, but the rest of Joel's prophecy wasn't yet fulfilled. Uh, the sun will turn dark, the moon will turn uh, uh, red, um, uh, until the, the dreadful, the great and glorious day of the return of the Lord. That goes all the way down to the end of time in what we call the Great Tribulation, when those signs are going to appear. Uh, Jesus, when he was um, um, in his ministry, he walked into the synagogue very early in his ministry, and he read the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he read up to only a certain point, and then he closed the scroll and said, today this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. But if you continue in that prophecy of Isaiah, there's still a whole bunch more to come. Jesus said only the part that he said has been fulfilled. So it's hard for us to understand. We live in such a linear time and space dimension. It's hard for us to understand that this prophecy is partially fulfilled. The fulfillment of this prophecy is yet to come. And uh, if you discount the supernatural nature of the word, you're just not going to f to follow that. Uh, we can easily see that the promises given to Abraham have not yet been fulfilled. We can easily see that the promises of the millennial kingdom, uh, Isaiah, beginning in chapter 60 through the end of the book, the, those prophecies of, of, of Jesus' millennial reign on earth, we can easily see that those things haven't been fulfilled yet. So it's it's almost um, that people don't want to believe in the supernatural to say that they've already been fulfilled. Uh, here's what we know. Uh, when we read Paul's epistles, we know that, that he believed that he would be alive when the Lord came for his church. He really believed that he would be alive. I tell you a mystery. We who are alive will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord together. And he thought that would happen in his lifetime. didn't happen. And I think we get so discouraged sometimes, Victor, waiting for the rapture of the church, uh, waiting for Jesus to establish his kingdom. We want justice so bad. We see the world that we live in, and we see all the pain. And some people just get tired. Now, to our discredit as those who believe that prophecy is yet to be fulfilled, and again, all you have to do is read the prophecies. Israel, while gathered together again as a nation, still 
hasn't even come close to inheriting the land that God promised Abraham. And so many of us as evangelicals, believing in prophecy, we do these nutty things like the question that I heard from uh, early in the program from Southwest Radio Church. And the world looks at that and just shakes their head and says, these guys are crazy. Well, that's why we need to be good students of the Bible. So, Victor, here's what I can tell you for sure. If you read the scriptures, the prophecies concerning the end times, it's so simple to see that they haven't yet happened. And to try to explain them away as though they have. Well, you know, in 70 AD, Titus um, um, fulfilled those prophecies when he surrounded and destroyed Jerusalem. Well, that was a partial fulfillment, to be sure. But the fulfillment of Jesus coming back and setting his feet on the Mount of Olives in the, from the Olivet Discourse, that hasn't happened. Every eye will see his return. That hasn't happened yet. Truth and justice will be established once and forever. That certainly hasn't happened yet. So we read them, if we read them in just a, a, a consistent hermeneutic, then we can identify which has happened and which hasn't yet happened. And the dual nature of prophecy, the, the short-term and long-term fulfillment, uh, becomes a little bit easier to navigate. So um, I think I think that hopes. Let me um, uh, give you a couple of things that... that, that uh, I hope will help you. Uh, there's a great book called Things to Come. It's one of the classics by a, a, a writer, a preacher named Dwight Pentecost. Um, that's really, really a good one. Um, um, but there's there's a lot of good stuff that makes this really, really clear, and it's just a matter of, of understanding the prophecies. By the way, Victor, some of my heroes as commentators are, are those who lived before 1948, uh, men like William Newell, um, um, and like H.A. Ironside and some others, um, who when the whole world said it's crazy, Israel will never be again a nation in their own country, they believed it because God said it. Against popular opinion and against all the evidence, they believed it because God said it. And I think if you want to have a balanced, a healthy, balanced view of prophecy, you have to believe it because God says it. And I hope that helps. Victor, thank you. appreciate that question a lot. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, how do we share Jesus with people who are hurting and don't believe and still appear to be compassionate? Um, anonymous, I don't, I don't think we should worry so much about appearing to be compassionate. If you're compassionate, then you and Jesus, you're fine. People who are hurting, they're the ones who need the truth. We have the only message that saves. We have the only message that offers hope. The only source of potential comfort. And so if people who are hurting, and they just want you to put your arm around them and say, it's going to be okay, baby. It's not going to be okay. That's not loving at all. So here's what you do. You do your best to give them Jesus. You share the gospel with them. And if they don't believe... Uh, just tell them, uh, you know, I, then my heart is compassionate. I love you. But this is the truth. And you're going to continue hurting until you open your heart to the truth. Now, they may never talk to you again, but that's okay. Don't worry so much about how people react to you or how they perceive what you're saying. Just make sure that between you and, you and Jesus, you know your heart is right. We worry way too much about what people think. And again, we all like to be thought of nicely. But you know what? We don't have any comforting words apart from Jesus. We don't have real hope. We can give false hope. But apart from Jesus, we have no other real hope. So you just try to communicate to them through your actions as well as your words. That I love you too much to miss out on this opportunity to share the truth with you. If they tell you to stop talking, say, okay, but I'm going to be praying for you and it breaks my heart. Jesus is the answer. And then you can be quiet, but always, always share. And I think we have been tricked in the West, especially to, to think that um, if we share Jesus, people will like us. And when we find that they don't like us, then we try to find other ways around it. 
but we've got to share Jesus because it's the only answer that we have. It is the only hope that we have. So Anonymous, I hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from, let me see. This is another one from our mobile app, Anonymous. Uh, It says, but if God knew everything in advance, then it doesn't seem fair that he gave everyone this dilemma to choose instead of just living a moral life, being kind to mankind. You see, Anonymous, the problem that we have here is that this is a, a, a response that we got in question to Rich's, in response to Rich's question about Romans 9. Um, God does know everything in advance. But, but you see, we, we are not moral. We can't be kind. We're selfish. The whole book of Romans proves that we're sinners. How is it not fair that we who deserve hell, when given a chance to come to heaven, how can we see that God's the one that's not being fair? He's being more than fair with us, Anonymous, more than fair with us. So it's not a dilemma to choose. It's an opportunity to choose. The dilemma is God's. Imagine giving a choice to somebody he knows is going to reject him, but he still gives him the choice. He still keeps reaching out to them. He still keeps proclaiming the truth to them. But it breaks his heart. How is that unfair of God when, in fact, he's bent over backwards? You know, in order to go to hell, we have to go over his dead body. That's how hard he makes it. And if you say instead I can just live a moral life and be kind to other people, whether you're a man or woman, I don't know, would your spouse say that about you? Are you always kind? Remember, the standard of heaven is perfection. Are you always kind? What does being kind mean? Just being nice, letting people live a life that will condemn them to an eternity in hell? That's not being kind at all. You see, apart from God... Well, the Bible says there's nothing good in us. And so to to, to characterize the choice God gives us to come to heaven when we don't deserve it as a dilemma seems to me anonymous to demonstrate that you have a heart that doesn't know him. So hear my heart for just a minute. God loves you. He proved it by dying on the cross for you. He didn't have to. He wanted to. He calls you, he invites you to heaven. Now, he makes us choose while we're here on earth whether we're going to accept that invitation. But you see, if the standard of heaven is perfection, and even if you do everything 99% right, and that 1% separates you from a holy God, see, you don't understand God's holiness, his justice. We don't want a God who's not perfect. We don't want a God who requires perfection. And that's why Jesus offers you his perfection. He doesn't make you prove yourself. He doesn't make you jump through hoops. He just says, look, this is my son. He's God. He proved it. They killed him. He didn't stay dead. He died for your sins. If you'll let him, he'll forgive you. I think part of the problem in a question like this is that we think we're okay. I'm a good person. You're not. And neither am I. And I guess the difference between us, Anonymous, is that I understood one time the depths of depravity of my soul. It was a moment in my life where Jesus was there and suddenly I realized how dirty I was. And you know what? He asked me if he could clean me up. And I said yes. And for now, more than 26 years, My life has been filled with joy. It's not been an easy life, to be sure. But my life is filled with joy, and that's what he wants to do for you. So it's not just being nice to people. Heaven means we have to be perfect. Jesus gives us his perfection, and all we have to do is give him our filth. So I beg you to consider that. Consider your need for Jesus. Except a man be born again, he will no ways inherit the kingdom of God. 340-9585, here is, we've got Harold on line one. Harold, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. It's 
it's been a rough day. Uh, I uh, I have a question. It's nice to talk to someone or a fellow Christian that you can talk to without knowing you're going to end up in an argument. I just, it's just a question. I asked a friend of mine today that I've been wondering, a good Christian friend, uh, Joshua chapter 7, verses, verses like 22 to 26, and really like verse 24, where it says, you know, that's where he took the, uh, I think it's Enoch took all the, uh, you know, all the gold and silver and stuff, and he buried it in his tent. And so when they found out about it, it says they took him and stoned him, and then they burned them. And I was telling this friend of mine, I said, I think that him is the guy, and the them is talking about the stuff that was in the tent, the thing. And I looked up some uh, some commentaries on it, and it says back then, at that time, the Israelites didn't burn people, per se. And so, you know, she said, well, you're arguing with me. No, I'm not arguing. Your opinion. I, I think him as the guy, them are the same. And I wondered if you ever come across that. And you want to answer well, yeah. to that? I appreciate it. Thank you, Harold. Uh, I, I think uh, I, I, I probably would have a tendency, uh, Harold, and I'm, believe me, I'm not going to argue with you. You're a regular caller, and I appreciate your calls very, very much. Um, um, a- Achan committed a, a horrible sin, a horrible sin. He took things that belonged to God, and evidently he did it with his family's cooperation. So, um, yeah, his tent and all that was to the Valley of Achor, uh, it said he heaped up a large pile of walk, rocks, which remains this day. Uh, and then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. They touched the devoted things. You know, God had given them great victories throughout this entire campaign in Canaan. And they were obligated to God to keep their promise. And and um, uh, the, the, those who, who didn't do it, they, this is judgment of God. And so the them here are the sons and daughters, the gold wedge, uh, his cattle, his donkeys, and sheep, and all that he had, and they were heaped up, and it was simply judgment. It's sort of like when when uh, David numbered the troops in a serious sin against God, sort of taking credit for the great victories God had given him, and the fierce anger of the Lord in judgment. In fact, the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus, appeared, and 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 started to plague, uh, uh, afflict the people with the plague, and and uh, um, until there was an offering made, God's anger. We forget sometimes, Harold, that God is completely just. Now, this isn't him punishing the sons and daughters. Um, he, he's simply saying, you, "Your family took the devoted things that belonged to me." And this isn't the first time they've had this happen throughout the campaign. And God is simply saying, this is what judgment is. Judgment is relentless. Judgment is ruthless. So um, uh, pretty clearly, um, they were all put to death. Uh, that was the judgment of God, and that turned away uh, the Lord's anger. It would be a reminder. Those piled up stones would be a reminder to Israel that disobedience costs lives. The wages of sin is death. And we don't think like that, Harold, because we have a tendency to think that, well, you know, God will overlook our sins because we're objects of grace. The wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus had to die. The same thing is going to happen uh, when the church is raptured and the, and the world is plunged into the Great Tribulation. Um, untold millions of people are going to die horrible, horrible deaths. Why? Because God is judging the world. Now he deals with us in grace. Thank the Lord for that. But he's going to be judging the world. And when it's time to judge, there's no grace. That's the reason we have to be really, really careful, understanding that the Lord is holy, a consuming fire of holiness. And Achan and his family forgot that. And so God was simply saying those are the polluted things. It's a picture of judgment. It's one of the reasons, Harold, that we need to tell people that's what hell is going to be like. That's why people need Jesus. So I hope that makes sense to you, but um, the, the, the devoted things are what's being talked about. Um, what are we doing on time? Well, we only three minutes. i got one more question that I think I can answer. Uh, this is from Dennis. 
Uh, he says, I laughed when I got this question, Dennis. Pastor Ron, how would you describe your preaching style? Um, Dennis, it's easy for me because I don't really have a style. I just talk to people the way I talk at home to Paula or the way I talk to people here at church. Um, you know, I'm not funny. Um, I'm not fun. Um, I'm not brilliant. Um, pretty much, I just open the Bible, read what it says, and teach what it means. And then my emphasis, I think, if this is a style, I guess my emphasis is, is on the application of the passage, what it says, what it means, and what it means for us, how we can use this passage to change our lives. But I'm not loud at all. Uh, if I try to raise my voice, I lose it. And, and you know, if, if I raise my voice in this church, people would think I'd lost my mind. What happened to him? They would think, um, but but I don't I don't have a style. I don't work to find three points in every sermon. I don't I don't try to start uh, a theme. You know, so everything that starts with the same letter. Uh, I you know I don't have a style. I, I I'm just very straightforward. I stand up there. Uh, okay, I, here's the word, Dennis. Here's the perfect word to describe my style: boring. I hope it's informative but boring. That's who I am. And I'm okay with that. Thank you, Dennis. I appreciate the question. Uh, teaching the Word isn't isn't fun. Sometimes we'll get great passages of Scripture. Like this Sunday, I get a great passage of Scripture. Um, dynamic, and, and everybody should leave encouraged. But sometimes you got to teach lamentations. So that's why teaching through the Bible, you get it all. Hey, I appreciate you tuning in. It's been a good week on the program. Thank you very, very much. Uh, go to church. Find somebody that needs to be loved on and let Jesus use you to do it. It'll change everything. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Tell somebody about Jesus today. We'll see you on Monday at 4 o'clock. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.